0: Mentors. Are they for real? I mean, they say we need them, but do we? And if we do, do we search them out or do we wait for them to come to us? Mentors. Next, on the latest episode of the Gratitude Journal Podcast. This is the Gratitude Journal Podcast. What is happening, my friends? Welcome back. Thanks for downloading and checking in on yet another episode of the Gratitude Journal podcast. The number that I have floating around in my head is the number nine. Not after the Beatles song. No. It's the number of perfect days. Quite literally, perfect days. That we have in Northeast Ohio. Now, if someone has downloaded this podcast in there in, say, Albuquerque, New Mexico, or Naples, Florida, or really any number of places outside of Northeast Ohio, uh, they could probably say, really, that's all the amount of perfect sunny days you have, really? And I would respond by saying, yes. In my head, in my unofficial count, that's what I go with. But today is one of those days. It's just quite literally perfect, or at least it was, as i sitting here in the basement layer, looking up through my glass block window that my wife has allowed me to have. Uh, it looks like it's clouding over a little bit, but earlier today, right before lunch, I kind of snuck out after doing some tasks in the morning for some of the clients, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to mow the lawn. And uh, while I was mowing the lawn, I, I would stop occasionally. I would just look out in the distance as if I were pondering some great philosophical matter. And I would say to myself, damn, it is just freaking beautiful today. It's beautiful. I don't want to work. Hell, I don't even want to mow the lawn. That's kind of the number that I Have randomly chosen. So that gives you some idea, you Santa Fe, New Mexico people, with your 300 days of sunshine, you. Well, hopefully you have managed to ward off COVID 19. Yours truly has started back at the restaurant job. I was called back on Monday night. I'm recording this on a Thursday. And I was afraid. I am afraid. And I think really I have a decision to make here relatively soon about whether or not to continue. And it's not because I don't need the money. It's not because I desperately need the money. But it was a nice way to kind of chip away at this loan that I had to take out to uh, mend my shoulder, which by the way, did not mend my shoulder at all. And I have come to the conclusion that my decision-making process has to be relatively soon because we literally had no customers. This here in the state of Ohio, we have been under uh, directive uh, restaurants to have outdoor seating only. And it just so happens that today is the day where patrons can also now sit inside. So Monday night, we really had nobody out on the patio because it was pouring the rain. And even then, the almost five hours that I was there, covered with my mask, with you know multiple changes of rubber gloves, bottles of hand sanitizer everywhere, it was just a nuisance. I mean, really a nuisance. And I thought to myself as I was walking around cleaning things for the fifth, sixth, seventh time, even though nobody touched anything, this was the mandate as put out by a management. I thought to myself, you really have to be a hardcore, go out to a restaurant type person to want to put yourself in that position. And as I was as I was flowing through that thought process, I thought to myself, well, then why the hell are you standing here with rubber gloves on and a mask? What What are you trying to prove? And so that's on me. That's my decision. And I would imagine at the next podcast recording uh, session, I guess I'll release the information as to whether or not I decided to stick with it. But I think I'm kind of leaning in the direction of at least curtailing it until we are a little better equipped with some kind of vaccine, which could, heck, could be the end of the year, it could be into next year before progress is substantially made on that. I tend to have a problem with decay. And I say that because it seems as if a lot of things that made up the bulk of my youth and my growing up years and really into adulthood have been disappearing. People, places, things that were integral to the growing up process. And everybody has these, I know. But I was driving down to see my parents and when I left, I thought, well, I would go past some of the old haunts in the neighborhood and one of those, those haunts, one of those locales that prompted an early influence for me was the grocery market that I worked at when I was 15 years old. That's right. My father broke the law by getting me a job at 15. (laughs) And that's okay because it really set the stage for a number of things, which I might save for another episode. But rolling past that location, past where a building used to stand, I thought of a couple of things and a couple of people who have been integral in acting as mentors. And I have to say it took a little while to really make sure that I had had these mentors lined up. Because you hear a lot of people talk about someone who was a major influence in their life. And while people have been an influence in my life, I'm not sure that they were people who I've necessarily patterned my life after, but more specifically, the things that they stood for seem to have an impact on me. And I mentioned Lemons Market because if I had to choose right off the top of my head, people who I would, people who I would definitely consider to be mentors to me based on what they stand for. Not so much learning something from them necessarily. But I thought I would mention three mentors who really became an influence for me as far as what they stand for, what they stood for, and things that I could borrow and take from them. And the first would be that manager at Lemon's Market. His name was Rick Miller. And he was a very recognizable person. He couldn't have been much over five feet tall. He had flaming red hair and a flaming red mustache to match. And he spoke with a very high-pitched voice. And he laughed with a very high-pitched laugh. But he was the person who was responsible for training me in my first ever job. And I was a stock boy. I I bagged groceries and I stocked shelves. But primarily, that first year at Lemon's Market, I was really a bag boy. And our location was like many locations at the time where we actually carried bags out to customers' cars. And while we did occasionally get a tip, that was really expected of us because that was the hallmark of that store. And I remember the first night that I worked, I was required to sweep. And sweeping meant sweeping inside. And it meant sweeping outside the parking lot. And I started my job in the summer. So it was definitely a requirement for me to sweep outside. And so during the day, Rick Miller walked me around the store and he walked me around the parking lot. And he said, these are the different areas that you're going to sweep tonight. And it's really important that when everybody comes in the next morning, that this store be really clean, both inside and out. And so I, of course, I nodded, you know, uh, very rapidly. Yes, I wanted to impress anybody I worked for, but it seemed like I needed to impress Rick Miller. So the next day, I was walking down the back alley behind the store to start my second day on the job. And I walked around the corner and on that corner was a cement block room that sat outside and, and the only thing that room was used for was to throw empty boxes and when that room became full then a truck would show up and take those boxes away or customers could actually walk in and take boxes if they wanted to and so we just called it the box room and I was walking down the alley to go to my second day of work and I walked around the corner and and leaning against the box room was Rick Miller. I remember his back leaning up against the room, his left foot planted on the ground, his right foot leaning up against the wall, his knee bent. He was smoking a cigarette, looking down at the ground and he was rubbing his mustache over and over, just sort of Rubbing, you know, rubbing it, petting it, just smoking and thinking and rubbing that red mustache. And he saw me coming around the corner and he said, Matt, come here. And we proceeded to walk inside the store and outside the store. And he pointed out every single place I missed sweeping. And in the outside portion of my lesson, there were a number of other bag boys standing outside on break and they were watching Rick Miller walk me around, pointing at all these cigarette butts on the ground and all these little pieces of debris that were lodged inside cracks in the sidewalk. And they were kind of chuckling and they were laughing as he was pointing them out. You missed here. You missed here. You missed here. You missed here. And as he was seeing them laughing, he turned to them and said, are you guys done with work today? And they, of course, they scampered. So after he pointed out the last thing, he grabbed two milk crates, turned them upside down, sat down on one, and said, sit down. So I sat down, and he said, I think you're going to be a good worker. But here's the lesson for today. If you're going to do something, do it right. And he stared at me for about 30 seconds before he said anything else. And I stared at him and there was no talking. And I can still remember his blue eyes. I can still remember the look on his face. And I always remembered that. And so when people say... Who is your mentor? Is it a priest? Is it a family member? And while those people certainly have had influence on me, I would say that lesson that day made Rick Miller my first mentor. I'll never forget Rick Miller. When I went to the Catholic Seminary at the Josephinum in Columbus, Ohio, I felt pretty out of sorts. Not because I didn't think that I had a vocation to the Catholic priesthood at the time, but because I seemed to be surrounded by so many intelligent people. People who were so far more intelligent than I was. They were book smart. They could reason things in a discussion. They could provide footnotes to other sources to prove their point. And really all I knew, aside from the Our Father and the Hail Mary, was who made up the Rolling Stones. And I knew what amps they had and what guitars they played. I was really out of my league. So my first year out of those three years, I really felt like a duck out of water on so many levels. Being away from home, being in a strange environment, being in an environment where people seem so much more intellectually gifted and intellectually balanced than I was. But my friend Ron Valadeo at the seminary was the kind of person who, even though he was one of those people, extremely well-read, extremely capable of carrying on an academic discussion with just about anyone, He always made it a point to find the positive things in my growth. He always had something positive to say whenever I had something negative to say. And what I learned about him is that He always seemed to make it easy to find something good in just about anything. And it wasn't fake good. It wasn't plastic good. It wasn't a synthetic outlook that tried to provide a surface reaction when something deeper was brewing. It was a way to show me that I wasn't as bad as I thought I was. That I wasn't as intellectually crippled as I thought I was. And if I did think I was, it could be fixed. Read this. Spend some time with this and tell me what you think. So what did you think about that book, Matt? And if I did something positive or said something positive, he was always quick to point it out. And even in the worst of times, both in the seminary and since being in the seminary, Ron has always managed to find a way to leave a conversation or to leave a situation with a positive outlook something good can happen from this whether it's a result of a bad test score or whether it's Donna's Alzheimer's or our granddaughter, Mally's cancer, or any number of traumas that I've experienced over the past 40 years. He's always managed to do that. And mentors to me mean that you try to take something from these people and pass it on to someone else. And that's what I've tried to do. When friends of mine have been struggling with something, I've tried to use what Ron has taught me as a mentor. And I've tried to find the same outlook, a real outlook, not a synthetic outlook, but really trying to find real, actionable things that can be used to move someone in a direction that might bring them more positive results this focusing on bringing out something good makes ron valadeo a mentor to me It was a dream of mine to work at WONE in Akron, Ohio. I lived in Akron and at the time I worked in Mansfield and all I could think about was when will I have a chance to work at this radio station? And primarily one of the reasons I wanted to work at this radio station was because my favorite disc jockey, Jim Cheneau, also worked at this radio station. And I remember the night, I remember the night that I was filling in for someone, I finally got a job there and I got in my Mercury Tracer and I was driving from the Kenmore area of Akron over to the radio station and I had the station on and Jim Cheneau was doing his show and his show was about to end. And I remember him saying in for JD tonight is the very affable Matt Anthony. And I just couldn't believe that Jim Chanot said my name. And then going into the radio station and walking into that studio and actually meeting him for the first time. I mean, my voice was quivering. My hand was shaking. I just couldn't believe it. That it was Jim Cheneau. And even after that first meeting in 1991, Jim Cheneau has always, up until his death, has always remained a friend of mine. And he would be the first person to laugh his ass off at me telling that story and all of the accompanying feelings that went with it. Because he was so not that kind of person. He was as an anti-celebrity as you could be. There was not a more humble person on the planet than Jim Cheneau. And for whatever reason, for whatever reason, wherever I went, Washington, D.C., twice, Knoxville, Tennessee, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, St. Louis, back to Akron. Back to Akron in between all of those times. Jim Cheneau always stayed in touch with me. Always. He always called. Later when we had email, he always emailed. And then later when we had texting, he always texted me. Always. There was just something about his ability to stay in touch. And he did it with humor and enthusiasm. And in the only way that Jim Cheneau could possibly do it, there was probably not a more unique person on the planet. And my love for Jim Cheneau is again, a topic for another podcast, but from a person in that on that night in 1991 who started out as this started out as someone on Mount, the Mount Rushmore of radio gods to me someone who I thought oh, I'm going to meet one time and then you know he's going to pass me in the hallway if we're ever working together and you know he's not going to say anything to me he's Jim Cheneau. but He was the exact opposite of that. At least to me. And why I refer to him as a mentor is not so much because I tried to emulate him on the air, and I did. Not that I tried to impersonate his sound, which I did. Poorly, I might add. I can't tell you how many times we we were at a restaurant for lunch and the way he spoke to the person behind the cash register checking us out, it was almost as if he had known them for a decade. I mean, he really cared about how their day was going. He would look at them and as they were responding, he would act like he really cared. to be at the ballpark and to go up to a vendor and to buy a couple of hot dogs, kosher hot dogs, nothing but. (laughs) A Great Lakes Dortmunder Gold and two kosher hot dogs, like clockwork. His conversation with that person behind the counter was as if he really was concerned about what was going on with their life. He really cared that they were having a good day. And I truly believe all of those conversations, all of those phone calls, all of, the, all of those left messages on answering machines in Pittsburgh and Knoxville and wherever we lived, I believe he really cared about what happened to me. I think he really cared whether I was having a good time at that particular gig and doing so in his own, in his own way. And so I've tried to take that I've used him being a mentor by trying to stay in touch with people, by trying to really listen when someone, when I ask someone, how are you today? How's your day going? Because that's what Jim Chino would do. And that was a very prized quality that I still admire and I miss Jim every day since his death. So I'm very grateful for these mentors. The mentor like Rick Miller, who I have no idea what became of him. My mentor, Ron Valadeo, who I communicate with on a regular basis today and my mentor Jim Cheneau whose friendship even in death i still give a great amount of honor to and i'm really grateful for these mentors and what they brought to me <phone rings> I received a couple of nice notes about our granddaughter, Mally. And Mally is back on another chemo regimen. And I just have a feeling. I just have a feeling that things are going to turn around. That's what I feel. You know, sometimes you just... You try to put your finger on something and you can't really do it. You don't know how to do it. You don't know where it comes from. But it's just something that I feel. It doesn't have anything to do with religion or alchemy or plastic, fake, positive thoughts. It just has to be with a core feeling. That things are going to turn around and this beautiful young woman is going to have a family and get married and, and have a great career and is going to come visit us and learn how to make fudge. And that's what I feel. So take stock of your mentors and reach out to them if they're still around. Let them know what they've done for you so that you can pass on those traits to somebody else. And hopefully they can learn from you. And you can be somebody's mentor. We're traveling next week to see Mally. So I hope we have a safe journey and it does make me a little apprehensive with everything surrounding the virus, but hopefully you are virus free and that you're not impacted and that sooner rather than later, something emerges that will enable us to feel more comfortable about returning to everyday life. And who knows, maybe we'll even have baseball before the end of this year. Wouldn't that be just grand? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Gratitude Journal podcast.